Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning in to the Big Honker Podcast. Listen, everybody needs to stay caffeinated this time of year. Dirty Duck Coffee. It's the way we start our morning out here every single day with the Missouri Boat Ride Blend. It's a nice uh, pecan flavor, pecan praline. Put it in my thermos with a little dash of peppermint mocha, white chocolate sometimes, you know. Get a little it's, like, it's like I'm at Starbucks, Joe. Get a little fruity on me. I love the Suns Up, Guns Up t-shirts and stuff. They got some cool swag. Check them out at DirtyDuckCoffee.com. Next, we are brought to you by Mr. Corey with Double T British Kennel. Oh, great dogs. Corey's got some great dogs out there right now. Uh, we we ran them last year. Uh, fan, phenomenal dogs. Uh, they're great, great house dogs, great pets, but they also have a ton of drive in the field. So if you're looking for a puppy, a starter dog, finished dog, whatever you need, head over to BritLabs.com. Contact Corey over there. Even if you just have a question, you know, something maybe you're uh, – Doing your own thing and you need uh, some advice from a professional, Corey's always willing to lend a helping hand. So. A great, a very good person. Great dogs. Highly recommend BritLabs.com. That's Double T British Kennels. Next, we're brought to you by Ducks Unlimited. They just finished their Into the Vault sale. They crushed all the records. Uh, more money for conservation and wetland habitat. Listen, get involved somehow. Start a chapter. Join a chapter. Whatever you've got to do, Ducks Unlimited, put your... Uh, dollars to work and they're the leader in wetland conservation for a reason they're great people we had jimbo robinson out here phenomenal guy david schusler great great people and they do a lot of work on behalf of waterfowl hunters from texas up into canada they've, they've always got our best interests at heart so they've got a new thing support them. right now make a year-end donation to ducks limited and choose your gift so check them out at ducks ducks.org next we're brought to you by lucky duck i have ran the new spinner the one the uh, that's got the black and white wings. And it makes a big difference because ducks can see that black and white flash, like Jeff's been saying for years on this podcast. They can see it better. So we've been doing those. We've had a couple of duck hunts that have gone really, really well. Uh, they've got a new rotary out that we've ran a couple times, had some success. They've got kennels that are five-star crash test rated, so you can feel confident whenever you put your uh, four-legged hunting buddy in the back of your pickup truck in a kennel. Something bad were to happen, they're protected. Extend your hunting season. Everybody, whenever the waterfowl season's over, go out there and get you a Lucky Duck varmint call and start shooting them coons. Help the turkeys out. Help the quail population out. Shoot the coons. And that's at LuckyDuck.com. You can get whatever you need. The new spinner, A-frames, they got a lot of cool stuff for 2023, 2024. So check them out, LuckyDuck.com. We're also brought to you by Boss Shot Shell. Bismuth is the way to go. Get that lead out of here, and it's a lot better than steel. And if you want some Boss swag, you need to call the shop and you can order it direct from them at the shop. And that's at BossShotShells.com. Also, get ready to stock up. Got turkey loads coming. Get the Boss Tom. Turkey season, believe it or not, is only four months away. It's not very far away. I am in love with the uh, War Chief. I mean, it is it is hard-hitting. Uh, a lot of research and development went into this shotgun shell, and it makes a difference out in the field. So... Also, we're brought to you by Pacific Calls. You can use our promo code. BHP25 will save you 25% at checkout. That is site-wide. Whatever you want, whether you're getting honker calls, spec calls, duck calls, turkey calls, whatever you're getting. Swag, it still applies. 25% off. There's nobody else out there that is going to give you 25% off. I mean, it's a, it's a steal, and everybody needs to take advantage of it. PacificCustomCalls.com. You can fill up your shopping cart. Use the promo code at the very end, BHP25, 25% off. They are great guys. You can always get a hold of them if you have any issues. Use the promo code BHP25. 
we would uh, we would love to see your lanyard full of Pacific calls. Next, we are brought to you by Dive Bomb Industries. The hunting has turned here, so I am now running uh, some of the fully flocked specs. And got to tell you, first couple of times made a difference. Birds were actively trying to get to the fully flocked decoys. I'm a fan. I know what I'm ordering next year. More fully flocked decoys. DiveBombIndustries.com. They're great people over there. And they have been with us since basically the beginning of this show. So head over there. Good people. Take Go check it out. Cody Stokes, Asher Tolliver, done a great job. DiveBombIndustries.com. Next, we're brought to you by Mossberg, the Pro Waterfowl 940. Got a choice around here at Stanford Hunting Outfitters. Uh, it handles the, handles the uh, fine sand that we have out here. It plays fits on a lot of guns, but not the Mossberg 940. It's a great gun. <clears throat> Even Maddie shoots it. Maddie Robertson. I mean, how could you not? How could you not trust him? I've been shooting the twenty gauge over under and the twenty eight gauge over under. Great right. guns, great product. That's Mossberg.com. Check them out, and you can buy them at almost all retail outlets. I'll have Mossberg guns. Put it to your shoulder. Take it for a test drive. You'll love it. Next, the product of the year. It is. It has changed my dog. Hemp Hill Farm, CBD. Lou will fail a drug test, but he is he is <laughs> he is pain and ache free. He calms down sooner in the morning. He's always had a little bit of an issue with whining. And I'm telling you what, after one or two retrieves, he's he's hitting his stride. And I also notice whenever he wakes up in the morning, he's not stiff and achy. I give him uh, the recommended dose of CBD before we go out every single morning. And I'm a fan. I really am. Uh, they've got roll-on, so that's just for pets. They have a they have a, a specific pet blend. Uh, they also have stuff for humans. They have gummies. They have roll-ons. They have salves. Phenomenal products. If you have the ouchies or something's you know got a little lingering issue, head over to Hemp Hill Farm Farm with a ph uh, dot com, and they also have a promo code. BHP saves you 20%, I believe. And 30% off your very first order today. If you sign up for the recovery relief rest, they get 30% off. I take two of the gummies every night. Well, I take about one to two. Sometimes I take one and a half, sometimes I take one or two. It knocks me out. I go to bed and I get about six to seven hours of solid rest and I wake up and I'm not and I'm not sluggish. It doesn't give you the after effects of like taking a Benadryl or a Tylenol PM. It's better for you and it's Hemp Hill Farm. That's H-E-M-P-H-I-L-L. P-H-A-R-M.com. Check it out. HempillFarm.com. Jeff's a fan. Next, we're brought to you by the Looking Glass Podcast. Head over to their Patreon. Logan and Rebel will be out here next month. They're great guys. Hilarious. All their episodes are two hours plus, so it's great for those long road trips. Uh, they're a lot of fun to listen to, and they're incredible guys. Really, really fun people to be around. Uh, just go to Patreon, type in the Looking Glass Podcast. It'll all pop up, and then you can... Uh, do what you need to do. Send over a little bit of money, and you'll be—you'll have their entire uh, library at your disposal. Yes, shingear.com. I wear the shin boots. I'm wearing the scout boots right now. I have wore them for three months straight, basically. I wear them every day. I wore them in Boston. I wear them in the airport. They're comfortable, just like wearing a set of Nikes, without all the politically correctness. At shingear.com. Also brought to you by MLR Graphics in Breckenridge, Texas. It's time for softball season is right around the corner. Believe it or not. Little League Baseball. 
If you need your kids to get the best jerseys and equipment you can have, MLR, MLR Graphics in Breckenridge, Texas, can take care of you. They do all of our shirts, hoodies, caps, everything here. They can take care of you. Off. You want to outfit your, your, your company, whatever you want to do, hats, T-shirts, caps, jackets, the whole thing, it's MLRGraphics.com. Also, we're brought to you by Alpha Outdoor Specialties, maker of the Stanfield Stool and the Blind Caddy. I, it has saved my back. The Stanfield Stool has uh, sitting it every single morning, and it is a dream. We run the Lucky Duck 2x4 blind, so we have four chairs per blind. They are extremely comfortable. So if you want to uh, kick it up a notch in your A-frame or just your regular blind, I suggest you head over to alphaoutdoorspecialties.com, look at the Stanfield Stool, and if you want to stay organized in the blind, get the Blind Caddy. Alpha Outdoor Specialties. Last but not least, we're brought to you by Stanfield Hunting Outfitters. Uh, we got a couple dates in January, but not very many. You better get on the horn right now. 940-658-3172. Jeff will answer the call. He'll uh, call you back if he doesn't answer. Send an email, goose at westtex.net. Get some dates. Nebraska. The last week in Nebraska's duck season. I've got some dates left. If you want to go shoot some birds on the Platte River, holler at me. And that's like I said, Andy said. That's stanfieldhunting.com or 940-658-3172, and I do answer my own phone. Thank you so much for being a part of this. It has been another record-setting couple of months. We couldn't do it without you. God bless you. Welcome to the Big Honker Podcast brought to you by Lucky Duck. I'm Jeff Stanfield with the world-famous Andy Shaver. They will be at NWTF, so go see them. Are you guys doing all your turkey, or your, uh, well, your turkey hunting too, but all the guys in these varmint contests, Lucky Duck, they got that shit going on. You need to check out their stuff. Get on their website, kill you some coyotes, win some money. With us today from Louisiana, one of my favorite groups I've had in a long time, U.S. Fire Pump, which is Connor and Chris Ferreira. Thank you very much for being on. How are you guys? Doing great today, guys. How y'all doing? Can't we are, complain. We are wonderful. Leaving to go to Nashville to the Turkey Convention tomorrow, so we get a few days off. You're an you're an amazing right. st- uh, story. As mayor of Knox City, we bought a couple of fire trucks off of Ferrara Fire Department. Am I saying it is correctly? It's Ferrara. Is that right? It's, yes, Ferrara Fire Apparatus. At Ferrara. The time. At Fire Apparatus and bought fire truck. Great, great equipment. And your story is wonderful. How did you get in the fire making business? Equipment making fire business. Fire making. Fire equipment making business. Well, yeah, I guess you go back in time. You know, after uh, me and my wife got married, uh, moved out to a small town in, uh, just north of Baton Rouge called Central. It's kind of a, it was a rural area, and uh, it seemed like I've, I've worked all my life, you know, uh, even before I got married at a corner grocery store and became a butcher during high school. So, you know, I've always had the, you know, a great work ethic, you know, that, I, that I've done over the years and I've always enjoyed working and meeting people. And so anyway, me and my wife got married, um, moved out to a small community called central 
back then, I joined the local union uh, 198 pipe fitter and welders uh, apprenticeship program, just following my dad's footsteps after I got out of high school. So with the experience of, of pipe fitting and welding and, and joining the, uh, at that time, uh, Central was just all volunteer fire department uh, back around 19, uh, that fire department started in uh, the early 70s and I joined around 1976, 77 era. Um, so we needed a new fire truck. So, you know, at that time, you know, the only money that we had uh, coming in was fundraisers, chicken dinners, door-to-door donations, you know, just to buy fuel for the fire trucks, the, the barred fire trucks that we had from Baton Rouge Fire Department and different fire departments around the, uh, around the country. Uh, so, you know, we needed a new fire truck. So with my welding ex- experience, me and a couple of guys got together and actually built a fire truck on the side on our spare time. <laughs> Uh, so that was around 1981, uh, 1980, 81 era. And, uh, you know, we, it took us probably about uh, almost eight months to build this uh, fire truck and save the fire department a lot of money. And we, we built a new fire truck. So really, that's kind of how the, and the business got started. So when I was doing that uh, project for the fire department, you know, all in volunteer, all volunteer time and, and, you know, barring stuff from the different uh, people that we could bar stuff from to, to actually build this truck. Um, found out that, you know, there was really no one around this area that was selling fire trucks or had a lot of experience of uh, building fire trucks. So, like I said, I always wanted to go to work for myself, and I just dove in with uh, with both feet. So, you know, I started doing some research of who was selling fire equipment and who was not selling fire equipment. So I actually started uh, selling miscellaneous fire equipment, hose, nozzles on my spare time while I was working uh, out of a local union 198. I was working at uh, Exxon facility in Baton Rouge at the time. Uh, so one thing led to another, the business started growing. My wife was working at the time and, and uh, really supporting me and supporting the family. So uh, as you can appreciate, uh, started that business with about $1,800, you know. Wow. So, you know, you, you can't really start a lot today with, with $1,800, but that was that was back uh, in the early days. So started buying some miscellaneous equipment and fire equipment and started reselling. So, you know, the business kept growing, you know, you know, I got out there and, and start uh, meeting a lot of people around the, the state. And, and um, so again, one thing led to another and, and I started selling fire trucks for another manufacturer called Grumman Emergency Products out of Roanoke, Virginia. So I had an opportunity to visit their facility and, and selling their product to a lot of different fire departments in Louisiana at that particular time. And, you know, I said to myself, shoot, I, I, I can do what they can do, you know? And, and so I opened up a repair shop in a small town called Eunice, Louisiana, that, um, uh, I had hired a salesman, uh, there, you know, selling loose equipment. So he knew a guy that had a shop there that we rented a shop and, and started, you know, actually building a little small mini pumpers and brush trucks and tankers. And one thing led to another, uh, we kind of outgrew that, that business in, in Eunice and, and, and was working out of the house, so to speak, in, in Baton Rouge. Uh, I built a little uh, barn, so to speak, out of the 
backyard to house, you know, a lot of hose nozzles and equipment that we were doing. So we kind of outgrew that facility too, that, that, uh, that barn and actually bought a building in Baton Rouge that was about, um, 3,000, 4,000 square feet, uh, and started building fire trucks. Uh, you know, I hired a, uh, a crew that uh, had some sheet metal experience and, and we started putting things together and, and actually started, uh, selling, fire trucks to our local community around the Baton Rouge area. And then it expanded to, you know, North Louisiana and into Mississippi and Texas. And as things grew, as you can appreciate with, with only $1,800 starting this business, I mean, cash flow is always a big deal, you know? So, you know, with, with the chassis that you had to buy and the material you had to buy, I uh, got to know a, a, a local banker. Uh, his name was Dougley McKelvin. He uh, was with a, a guaranteed bank at the time. Uh, met with him one day and, and told him my story and said, hey, look, you know, I want a loan. He said, well, you know, what do you have for, for collateral? I said, well, really, I don't have too much. He says, well, the only way that you're going to get money is, is let's develop a plan and, and let's try to shoot for an SBA loan. I said, well, what's an SBA loan? He said, well, it's, you know, for like for a startup company that you can, you know, the government will loan you money at a low interest and the bank would guarantee it. Well, the federal government guarantees it and the bank would back guarantee it. And I said, well, you know, that sounds like a good idea. So we develop a little plan. And, and um, so he actually helped me do the application. And, and back in those days, it was a lot of relationships selling, you know, for even for banks, you know, so. Uh, as it had it, Douglas McKelvin was good friends with the SBA loan officer in New Orleans. So he says, well, you know, I got your application in, so let's drive down to New Orleans and, and see the SBA loan officers who's going to make this decision. So we did one day and, and we got the loan. I think the loan was for about $300,000 at the time. And, and um, so we continued to grow. We got the SBA loan, which was re really a great uh story in, in itself. It gave us a little bit of working capital and, and uh, started uh, building bigger trucks. And we kind of really outgrew that facility in, uh, in Baton Rouge. We added on to that facility about four or five times and kind of outgrew that. And, and uh, so I was looking for a bigger place. And I said, well, shoot, you know, let me look um, in an area that we wasn't competing with the industrial facility, as you know, or may not know Baton Rouge. Baton Rouge is uh, areas known for a petrochemical industry that you got to compete for workers, you know, that work at all the different plants around the, the Baton Rouge area. So I said, well, you know, I really don't want to, you know, compete with those guys because I can't really pay, you know, that kind of money for a welder or sheet metal guy, whatever. So, so the only logical way to, for us to succeed was actually to move out towards the, um, you know, the eastern part of the state or the eastern part of Baton Rouge area called uh, Albany Holden area, you know, is about, you know, 40 miles from Baton Rouge. And the area that we're currently still in today is just kind of a, uh, it's really grown tremendously uh, over the years, but it was an area that we had a lot of dairy farmers and a lot of hardworking people that we could really uh, recruit and, and become part of the, the family, so to speak, of, of workers. So, that was really a great move and, and, and in turn we found a piece of land that uh, the bank had repossessed from somebody out in, in this area so it was like 52 acres and 
we end up buying it from the bank for about uh, $900 an acre, if you can believe that or not. And, and we built a new facility. The first facility that we built was about 100,000 square feet. And, and uh, so we moved in that facility about uh, 1994. Uh, and we were producing, uh, when we first moved in that facility, about uh, 12 trucks a month. Wow. Wow. So uh, with that, as you can appreciate, the workers that we were employing was, you know, every craft that's out there. So I employed sheet metal workers, welders, pipe fitters, plumbers, upholstery people, carpenters. I mean, you can imagine every trade, you know, that you have to have to succeed in building fire trucks. You know, you have to have all these uh, major trades to succeed. So. So as time went on, you know, we, we expanded that building probably five or six times over the years and, and develop our own. Uh, in 1998, we developed our own custom chassis that we uh, built from the ground up. So we introduced that to the industry and that went over uh, really well. So we started building, you know, custom chassis and, and custom fire trucks along with commercial fire trucks and you know, fire trucks of every kind, you know, aerial trucks, ladder trucks, ladder platforms. So we got uh, to be known as, you know, not only a, uh, a great company, but, you know, the quality was really second to none, you know, of, of a lot of different products that's out there. And, and it's always been my philosophy that people buy from people. I mean, we, we live in a people world. You know, I, I talk about that a lot that, you know, people buy from people, you know, you're going to you're going to buy stuff from your corner store that treats you the best and 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 treats you well. And, and I have the same philosophy that uh, that's worked well for me over the years. And so, you know, that business went on and grew for many years. So, um, you know, I had an opportunity to um uh, exit that business uh, about 2017. Um, a publicly traded company came in and had to have the business. And as you can appreciate, um, being in the business for about that time, about 32 years, it was just time to 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 take their money and <laughs> and, and and go really uh, go do some other things. So. But before I, I sold that business, you know, we were working on another concept that was really unique to the to the fire industry. You know, the biggest pumps that, you know, are, were being sold to us by different pump manufacturers uh, was about 3000 gallons a minute. You know, so we were selling a lot of industrial fire trucks to a lot of industrial facilities all around the world. So I said, shoot, I want to develop a industrial fire truck that can pump you know, three times or twice that much. So uh, we set out to uh, design a fire pump that would produce at least 6,000 gallons a minute. So we accomplished that goal uh, around 2016-17 uh, that uh, we held the uh, Guinness Book of World Record for a number of years of being the largest industrial fire truck ever produce anywhere in the world. So the first initial truck uh, with our design pump actually pumped about 5,500 gallons a minute and we brought it back up to about 6,000 gallons a minute. So, you know, and that that's from draft guys. So when we talk about from draft, so you back up a fire truck to a lake or pond or whatever, throw the hard suction hose in and that's what we're talking about 6,000 gallons a minute. 
but from a pressurized source from industry, you know, with, with industry has high pressure hydrants and, and uh, large piping, you know, we can produce, uh, you know, an excess of 10,000 gallons a minute out of these fire trucks that we had produced, you know, so really unheard of in our industry. So, you know, with that, as you can appreciate, big fires take big water flow and big, you know, water foam solution flow. So, uh, you know, so we took that concept and after selling in 2017, I kept the rights for that pump design and, <coughs> excuse me, and actually... Um, said, you know, what else can we do with it, with this pump besides looking at um, putting it on a fire truck? So we said, well, you know, industry likes to have big portable pumps that uh, use as backup fire water pumps and other relay pumps. So we took this pump, excuse me, and redesigned it <coughs> to make a mobile pumping uh, apparatus. So, you know, on a trailer, so um that went over well so one thing led to another with that business that's currently the business today and let me let me back up you know with, with the fire truck business you know the ferrer fire apparatus business that um you know i exited in 2017 you know when i left we had built over six thousand fire trucks for different fire departments you know all around the world so I have, you know, fire trucks from, you know, New York City, San Francisco, <coughs> excuse me, Houston, just really all over, you know, the country. I have trucks in Dubai, China, um, South America, Mexico, Canada, really all around the world. So it was really a great feeling and, and a great opportunity for me to meet a lot of different people from, you know, every corner of the world, so to speak. And see what their culture's like and, and see what their needs were like. And, and uh, you know, they were always impressed with the American style fire truck, you know, being so big and, and such pumping capacity, they were always really amazed with, you know, with that. So, but back to the, the U.S. fire pump side. So, you know, we took this pump and made it a kind of a mobile pumping uh, uh, apparatus and, and then, um, so we had an opportunity and, and I've been a fireman, as you can appreciate all my life, you know, I've, I've fought, you know, a lot of major fires, even in 1989 with a good friend of mine, Dwight Williams, we had the largest industrial fire in, in uh, Baton Rouge history at, at Exxon facility uh, that uh, had a major explosion and, and uh, uh, a number of large tanks and process units was on fire. So, um, you know, I was there with Dwight, actually uh, fighting fire with uh, with Dwight, and we'll get into Dwight in, in a minute. Dwight Williams, but with the background of, of firefighting, and and you know, I've been on industrial fires, you know, all my life, you know, from being a volunteer to industrial firefighting. So I said, you know, that that always intrigued me too, that you know, industrial firefighting. So. As always, one thing leads to another thing, and, and so we said, well, you know, why don't we start an industrial firefighting group that uh, a team, an expert team to go out and, and put out all these large scale fires, you know, all over the country. And, and, and we did that. So we geared up with a lot of 
pumps that we design, a lot of specialized foam systems that we design, you know, big monitors uh, that we designed over the years. So, you know, one of our biggest fires that uh, we started on, uh, and we've done a lot of fires up to then, we had done a lot of uh, uh, dump fires, a lot of small industrial fires, um, you know, a lot of small well uh, pond fires over the years. So uh, around March of 2019, uh, uh, at a fire that started in Deer Park, Texas, was really kind of the largest fire in Texas history, in my opinion. We actually had 14 storage tanks on fire, uh, and it was all in a, a common dike area. And y'all can probably remember that fire that was back in March of 2019 in Deer Park. So that fire started with a, uh, a pump seal that blew out uh, on a, a process pump that's, that started a, um, a, a, a small fire around the pump seal area and then worked its way up to the, the top rim of the tank and actually started the first tank on fire. And then as the fire grew, you know, the fire was really burning for about a day and a half uh, that they tried to actually extinguish. and. And in turn, uh, they contacted us uh, to come over to uh, actually extinguish that fire. So when we got there uh, on a Tuesday morning, about six o'clock in the morning, with all of our major equipment and all of our what we call the elite industrial firefighting team that we develop over the years. So we actually had the fire under control after we established water supply uh, within probably about six hours and we had the fire completely extinguished you know, in, in about uh, 10 hours, you know, so that was one of our major accomplishments, uh, you know, around uh, 2019. But since that time, we have fought every major fire, uh, industrial fire around the country um, in the last uh, seven to eight years. So we consider ourselves today as one of the largest industrial firefighting teams anywhere in the world. Uh, we, we keep a tremendous, tremendous amount of foam product that we have developed over the years. Uh, in inventory, we have an excess of uh, over 100,000 gallons of foam that we keep in stock. Uh, we keep about $40 million worth of emergency response equipment in different locations around the country. Um, but we've been on all kind of fires, you know, industrial fires. And we actually, you know, you know, after leaving the ITC fire, we had the Chemco fire. Uh, four months later, that was in, in um, Crosby, Texas. We had the uh, another big fire we went to uh, in Texas. That was around the Port Natchez area in November of 2019. Uh, and then just, uh, you know, it's, it, just a multitude, like I said, of, of different industrial fires we've been on. Uh, we actually put out the uh, aircraft carrier for the Navy uh, in San Diego Bay. You may have recall that fire. That was about two years ago. The fire started uh, uh, on the ship uh, that was in San Diego Bay, and, and the Navy um, called us out to uh, to go out to extinguish that fire. So we've been to. You know, quite a few fires, like I said, all around the, the country. Um, we've been to Rockton, Illinois. We've been to uh, a lot of ship fires. Uh, we actually did the Golden Ray ship fire that was a car carrier that uh, turned over into Georgia Sound. Uh, 
uh, with 3,000 cars on it that uh, we went uh, put put that one out, extinguished that one, and did the rescue of the last crew member that was caught into the uh, the bottom of the ship area. Uh, another fire we did was up in uh, New Jersey uh, uh, several months ago. So we were always going out to all these industrial fires. So and that's that's what we specialize in today. Not only industrial firefighting, but we also uh, manufacture a lot of equipment that we use for ourselves. So, a matter of fact, we manufacture all of our equipment that we use in industrial firefighting. And we also sell that miscellaneous equipment to different industry around the country and around the world. Uh, but in addition to that, as you know, I don't have nothing else to do. My non-compete was up. Uh, so we started building back fire trucks. So uh, back in April um, this past year, uh, we started uh, building uh, industrial fire trucks for a lot of industrial customers. And, and now today we have a complete uh, manufacturing facility, believe it or not, right on side of my old facility. <laughs> uh, and, and in turn, uh, we're, we're building fire trucks for different fire departments uh, for you know, all over the country, you know, so I know I've been talking, so maybe get your okay. feedback. Uh, you okay. know, I just skimmed over a lot of, you know, projects that we worked on and doing. One of my questions is <clears throat> from a standpoint of being an ex mayor and knowing how volunteer firemen work and growing up as a son of a firefighter, what is the situation when y'all get called into a place? Cause you, I'm assuming y'all take command and lead and y'all are the lead dog when y'all get called to a fire, correct? Yeah, we, we, we pretty much would want to be the lead, you know, simply because, you know, we're there to mitigate the problem. You know, my philosophy is there. We're there to take your problem away. You know, we we have our own command posts. We have our own uh, communications. We have our own, you know, bunker gear, air. You know, we have a complete, you know, system that we have designed that we bring in. I mean, we have paramedics on staff, industrial certified industrial firefighters on staff. We have everything to take control of that situation and but as you can appreciate we're there working for a company or working for a customer so we're there working for uh that facility on behalf of them to extinguish you know whatever big fire that we have so uh you know we sign a contract you know with with the company before we get started saying that you know we're going to do this and and we're going to uh, be successful and and uh you know, just mitigate the situation. So, so the local fire departments then will back off and let y'all take over. Cause I know how them guys can be because does that ruffle feathers? Well, sometimes it does and sometimes it not, you know, I guess when you, when you look at, you know, the, the big fire up in Rockton, Illinois, it was a 2 million square foot lubricant facility on fire. And uh, we were contracted by the industrial, the facility and when we show up, you know, we say, well, hey, look, we're bringing big monitors in and and 12 inch fire hose and 9000 GPM monitors and and big 10,000 GPM pumps. And, and they look at you and say, yeah, right. You know, so um, so but after all the equipment is there and show up and, and we get started, then, you know, it, it's a change of pace. But. You know, as you can appreciate, firemen are great people all around the world. I mean, it, it just the, the just the uh, the uniqueness of a fireman, uh, whether it's in the South, North, and other countries. You know, we share all the same passion of 
doing the right things and, and making sure, you know, we're taking care of the things that we need to take care of. And, um, but sometimes that back to your question, sometimes that we do get into situations that we just have to explain a situation a little bit further than what we normally do. And, and so we can get started of actually extinguishing because, you know, the philosophy is, as you can appreciate, with these large scale fires, I mean, it's not uncommon for us to be pumping, you know, 50,000 gallons of water foam solution a minute. So, you know, when you look at an average fire truck, you know, that has a thousand GPM pump or 1500 GPM pump, you know, and they're pumping off of hydrants, there's no way that you're going to overcome and extinguish these big fires. So big fires take big water flow, water flow uh, solution foam water flow uh, solution together to actually extinguish the fires. But, you know, it, it's a concept that we've developed that, you know, when we go out on all these major fires, we have developed some large submersible hydraulic submersible pumps that, that allows us to actually pump water from alternative water sources. We go out, we're always looking for a, an alternative water source, whether it's a lake, pond, river, something that we can get masses of amounts of water from. I mean, we're not pumping off of a hydrant, you know, we're not pumping off of tankers or anything else. That's just, you're just not going to succeed in, in doing that. So, um, so every major job that we've been on, you know, we drop these large submersibles in, in these rivers and ponds and these submersible pumps that we've uh, developed over the years, the smallest one is about 3,000 gallons a minute, and we make them all the way up to about 40, 50,000 gallons a minute. Wow. wow. So, you know, we, we, we're throwing these hydraulic pumps, not throwing, setting these pumps in, into these alternative water sources, laying 12-inch fire hose down the road. So it's not uncommon for us to lay uh, five miles of 12-inch hose down a road to get water. So, you know, we, and we can do it very fast and effectively because we have designed uh, skid steers with big hydraulic reels and we have uh, trucks that have big hose beds that we can lay 12 inch hose uh, down the street or down an area to, to get uh, to, to the seat of the fire. So basically the concept goes from submersible pumps into what we call these big boost pumps that we produce and then from the boost pumps into a special foam making system, uh, which we call a direct inject foam system that we have developed over the years. And then from there onto the big monitors that shoot water foam solution, you know, onto these big fires. So it, it's a pretty fast setup. As you can appreciate, it's, a, it's all about time and speed and how effective that you can be of, of laying out a system to actually combat, you know, these big fires because uh, it just takes a, a large amount of water foam solution to extinguish, but it's also a lot of techniques. I mean, you know, we can talk about the hardware that we've been talking about, but there's a lot of unique techniques of actually how to extinguish these big fires. And that's where, you know, the industrial team and our experience that we've been on so many fires around the country. Uh, and, and, and with that, you know, our team is consisted of, like I said, you know, certified industrial firefighters. But uh, one thing I failed to mention, you know, a good friend of mine, Dwight Williams, who actually had a company um, that was a leading 
industrial firefighting company for many years. His name is, uh, again, Dwight Williams. He actually sold his company about the same time I did. And, and like I said, we, we've been friends for, you know, probably 35, 40 years. And, and um, so he kind of got crossways with the company that actually bought uh, his company. So me and him got together and, and developed some um, unique foam products that uh, is really second to none for extinguishing these big fires. Uh, uh, Dwight is, is, in my opinion, one of the leaders of industrial firefighting and has always been. But, you know, he's on our team as a senior advisor and, and sometimes he goes out with us. Uh, Dwight's currently 77 years old and has put out more fire than anybody else in the world. So uh, with his friendship and leadership with us, um, we have developed all kinds of, of unique uh, appliances and monitors to be successful on all these calls that we go on. So, um, you know, we're really proud to say that, uh, you know, every job that we've been on, we have successfully completed our tasks. We have successfully extinguished every major fire that we've ever been on. Uh, knock on wood, we have the most safety track record of any, uh, in my opinion, any industrial firefighting crew that's, that's out there. You know, we all go home at the end of the day. But with the, the equipment that we have developed, it allows you to, um, uh, you know, get away somewhat from the fire scene and, and, and remote control monitors that we have developed. So, you know, we can control some of these monitors after we have set them in, set in place that, you know, we can back away, you know, 400 feet, 500 feet, 1,000 feet away from, you know, one of these big fires and uh, remotely activate the monitors to, to, to put the stream in different places and, and effectively, you know, put out the fire. So, you know, I know I'm going very fast. There's, there's, there's a lot of different things that take place and, and actually how this business works and, and how it succeeded. But, you know, it, it's also back to the people that we have. You know, I'm a firm believer of leading by example. And, and you know, that, that's always been my philosophy. These guys know that I can still well today, believe it or not. You know, I can, I can still understand, you know, what how pipes go together and, and, and how fire trucks go together. And I'm just, I'm just real active in every business that we've had. So, um, you know, even today that I'm in mean, just about every day, you know, uh, every major fire that we've had, I've been on myself and, and, um, so it's just, uh, leading by example and, and making sure everybody's doing the right thing. And, and in turn, we just, we just got a tremendous amount of, 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 just unbelievable people that work for us. And, and that's what it takes. It's all about having the right people, people believing in you and, and, you know, you'll succeed from there. Let's, so. let's, let's walk through this. Let's say that the, the fire in San Diego, how does it go about getting your equipment from point A to point B? Walk us through the steps of that whole process. Cause the government don't turn over very many jobs to someone else. Do they? That's pretty rare. No, they don't. You know, we actually was, was working for a salvage company that has a contract with the Navy. Um, but the Navy contracted the salvage company to tell us to contract us to come in uh, so we can cut through the chase of the paperwork, you know, so to speak. So the way that works, we were. The fire started on a Sunday afternoon. Uh, they fought that fire 
uh, for, you know, shoot a good day. And then, you know, they contacted us to, you know, fly out there. So basically we assembled the team uh, within a matter of, of minutes and uh, actually uh, charter a plane. So we were, we were out there after we got contracted to come out. We were out there within a matter of four hours uh, after um, initial contact to start evaluating the situation. In the meantime, my son has a large scale trucking company called Ferrer Transportation that we keep a lot of equipment at another facility that I have in Baton Rouge. Uh, so he runs 24 seven, it's a large trucking company. Um, so basically they're loading equipment uh, on 18 wheelers, uh, while we route to a lot of these scenes. So that allows us to, uh, uh, put tag team drivers and 18 wheelers. Uh, so it was nonstop. So I think they actually made it out there in like 18 hours, uh, from Baton Rouge. So, but while we were there, you know, we were doing other critiques on the ship and actually, um, doing some initial uh, firefighting tactics that we've done over the years, uh, waiting for our other equipment to come out there. So once our equipment got on scene, uh, and by the way, like I said, they do tag team drivers. They don't stop at waste scales because it's a government emergency. So they have a kind of a declaration that we show them that, hey, look, we're going to an industrial fire. You know, if you get stopped, blown by a waste scale, you know, show them this piece of paper and, so it, sometimes they'll give us a police escort to the line or, you know, and then, and then, um, you know, go from there. But, um, so we got there, you know, size up the situation. Uh, Connor, as y'all met, Connor's a certified <coughs> drone, um, uh, pilot. Uh, so we actually brought out a couple of drones and they, they were actually doing water drops off of helicopters and, you know, hitting the top of the ship and, you know, kind of bouncing off. So, um, you know, we kind of stopped that operation and started the interior attack of actually going out in, inside the ship and actually extinguishing the fire. Uh, and once our equipment uh, was out there, you know, we had the fire under control in, in several hours. And and um, with that, you know, we were flying drone, uh, several drones that we brought with us that allows us uh, uh, thermal imaging drones that allow us to see a lot of the hot spots in, in a lot of these situations that we're on. You know, we have learned, you know, one of the secrets that we have with the drones that we have, uh, you know, we can size up a situation. We can see where all the hot spots are in, in, a, in a particular ship. You know, we can actually see, you know, where the, um, uh, the fuel level is in, in the ship. We can actually see um, where the, um, the different metals are hot. We can actually see where the beams run against the metal. And so it, it gives us a lot of ability to uh, go in to attack an area that we need to start attacking first, you know, but that's really a game changer too, that we brought to the industry that we can size up a situation, uh, very, very fast. So, so what's it, <clears throat> um, when, when, when they give you the call, I mean, have they exhausted all other resources that they have at the, at the local or whatever level that they're at? Yes. You know, I got to be careful with a lot of these, you know, comments that as we can appreciate that, that, that I'll make, I mean, a lot of times, um, 
you know, people get exhausted. People just uh, don't have the right equipment. It's, it's just about the equipment and the technology and, and the techniques that we've used that we've been really successful in extinguishing all these fires. It, it's just, you know, over time, you, you learn so many different things that uh, that's trial and error. Uh, just like building a fire truck, it's just like in, in this industrial firefighting that, you know, it sets us apart from a lot of people because we've done so many jobs. You know, we've done so many tactics that uh, people don't know about and we don't talk about a lot. And, and uh, uh, but, you know, we're there to uh, to do a job and, and we'll we'll get it done. But um, but back to your question, yeah, a lot of times, you know, they have exhausted all their foam resources. They have exhausted all the manpower. And but in addition to that, they, they just don't have the type of equipment uh, of magnitude that we have. You know, you know, getting getting back. I mean, we at any given time, you know, we have 20 you know, six to 8,000 GPM pumps and in inventory, you know, that, that can flow, you know, up to 250 PSI with 12 inch intakes and 12 inch discharges. And, and, um, you know, like I said, you know, we keep about 12 miles of 12 inch hose in stock. So it's just having the right equipment and the right techniques and the manpower to succeed so who makes the decision is it the is it the fire department that's on the scene or is it the i don't know another way private company that says no let's call these guys well you know if it's an industry it's the private management making this decision so basically you know it's a, it's a decision from the industrial fire chief and the management of that facility that makes that decision for them uh, saying, hey, look, you know, we need to bring in additional help to uh, to control the situation. You know, in addition to that, you know, we have a lot of what we call MSAs, you know, massive service agreements with a lot of different uh, industries across the country that, you know, we have a established contract already that, you know, like we tell our customers, you know, call us early. Don't 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 let it get out of hand before you call us. We can always be turned mm -hmm. around. Um, but call us early. Don't, don't let the situation grow out of your hands and, um, you know, get out of control. But with that, with the standard contracts, and we also have many standby contracts with a lot of industrial facilities whereby, you know, they pay us to have a standby equipment, you know, just for their needs. So we're, we'll, we will guarantee that, let's say a hurricane's coming in and they worried about, you know, four or five facilities, you know, well, you know, you know, we've been on five jobs at one time, believe it or not, during hurricanes, um, you know, with, with the with the equipment and the manpower that we have. But having a standby contract, you know, assures the customer that they're the first on the list and that we're, we're on the way and we're coming in a matter of uh, uh, minutes or hours. It depends on the location. So, you know, we have our own aircraft. Uh, station right close to us that you know we can load up and, and be on the plane within 30 minutes you know heading out somewhere you know so uh, that's another tool that makes it really important that uh, you know we get there in a timely manner you know so so take me back to your first fire truck that you built do you remember how much it costs in material to do this fire truck yeah you know we begged barred and steeled for that thing you know so it it, it probably costs uh the 
I think, you know, it ended up costing the fire department maybe two or $3,000. And it's hard to believe that, you know, cause we, we, you know, we got the steel donated, you know, we got some of the, the pumps donated, you know, we, we, we just, at that time, you know, it was, it was big bar steel to make things happen, you know, that, uh, being a volunteer fire department. So I think, I, I can't really remember the number, but it was a small amount, two or three, two or three thousand dollars, maybe, you know, to to build this fire truck, you know, and and you know we were all proud of it. It was it was a fire truck for the fire department. It lasted them many years, and and uh, you know since that time, uh, that particular fire department, um, it's a paid fire department now with a tax base and. And they will support it with a tax funding to allow them to buy fire trucks and new fire equipment and have paid firemen on staff, you know, so. So what did you do? You just had kind of, you knew, did you know how a fire truck needed to be built or did you see like old ones where you're like, okay, let's put this here, this goes there? Uh, just just looking at some of the old ones that we had, you know, and, and, and looking at how the pumps were set up underneath the chassis and how we're going to run the dry shaft to operate the pump and how we were going to do the piping and how we were going to do the hose bed and just, you know, taking, you know, other ideas off of old trucks that we had, you know, so we're just kind of duplicating that. What's crazy about a fire truck is, is I did not realize how, how quick they lose their value because we were buying a new fire truck and I was like, okay, that's really good. We're going to buy a new fire truck. We got to be able to sell the old one. We haven't hardly used it. There's like no market for a used fire truck at all. Well, believe it, believe it or not, there is today because with COVID, you know, as we can appreciate delivery of a new fire truck today from a major manufacturer is how long do you think it takes to, to order a fire truck today? Six to nine months. Spec, spec one out. Six to nine months, if I'm guessing. From us, yeah, I can build one in, in, in 60 to 90 days. That's what our niche is today. But typically, if you're, if you're looking at a fire truck that's custom built or an aerial truck, three to four year delivery today. Wow. wow. And the price is going to go up tremendously in that three to four years. Well, no, the prices is already going up. A standard industrial fire truck can reach $2 million today. A standard, a standard municipal pumper. You know, that let, let's say the city of Houston buys, I mean, you're looking at a million dollars today for a pump. And see, a little town like Knox City, when we bought our last fire truck, I want to think I, I want to think that we paid about $200,000, and, and I may be way off on that deal. But No, you're, you're probably pretty close. You know, you're probably, back in those days, you know, we were selling trucks, you know, $250,000, $300,000. And that same truck now is costing a million? But, but that, same, that same truck today will cost you a half a million dollars. Yeah, see, small towns, that was one of the problems with the small town is being able to buy equipment that you could keep up because you lost so much money on the one you had before. There was no resale on it. So what happens is these small fire truck or these small departments would get hand-me-downs from the bigger departments, you know, or we'd, or we'd get a grant or we had to borrow money from our own from our EDC or whatever it is to get one. But wow, $2 million for a fire truck. That don't take long to run into a lot of money. No, no. And, and we currently have some fire trucks, industrial fire trucks, aerial trucks and backlog today are two and a half million. Wow. And how long does it take you to get one of those trucks out? Well, you know, after my nine compete, uh, was up, I did, you know, with the relationships I had with a lot of chassis, 
you know, suppliers that, you know, I went out and bought about $10 million worth of chassis that we have currently sitting on the lot today that, you know, uh, we can turn these chassis, these chassis into fire trucks, you know, in as little as, you know, 90 days, 120 days, you know, six months, eight months. It depends on the complexity of what they're looking for. But, you know, our niche next door before I sold the business was that was one of our niches, too, that, you know, I was known always to do quick deliveries, you know. So, you know, currently today, that's what our niche is. We build a lot of demos that, you know, people wreck fire trucks. You know, a lot of people don't know that, you know, fire trucks get in wrecks just like cars do every day today, you know, on, on a weekly basis. I think, matter of fact, there was, I think there was three last week around the country or four last week, major yes, wrecks. Yes, I saw those. You know, so that, you know, you have to have a replacement. So, you know, you can't go out and, and say, well, you know, I'm going to wait three or four years to buy one. So that's where we come in. You know, we build a lot of stock chassis, a lot of, you know, stock demos that we can, um, you know, turn them around very quick. Or you can buy one of the ones that are already completed, you know, so. Let me, let me ask you this. I buy, let's say I live in Tel Aviv, Israel, and I buy a fire truck off of you. Walk me through the process of getting that fire truck from Louisiana to Tel Aviv. Well, first of all, it's got to be a country that that allows us to do business with. You know, we, we you know we have to go through the State Department to make sure it's a country that we're not uh, banned from from selling a product. That that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is basically, you know, we'll. Um, communicate with them, they communicate with us, and, and we sit down and develop a set of specifications and requirements of what kind of truck they're looking for. At that time, you know, we'll sign a contract. Uh, we'll start doing engineering drawings of the, what the fire truck will look like. But also, if it's an export fire truck, you know, we want money up front. You know, we, we're not going to, I'm not going to build a fire truck of some specialty without having, you know, money up front to, um, because, um, as we can appreciate, things can go wrong, uh, all around the world. Um, so they sign off on a set of drawings and specifications and then we'll build the truck and sometimes they'll come visit our facility. Uh, and sometimes they'll, we'll do videos. Um, but majority of the time, probably 80% of the time, if it's a, uh, uh, kind country, that we can do business with and typically they're coming here to see what, what the vehicle's like. So once the, once the vehicle is complete, it's, uh, tested, you know, with a third party testing company. So we'll package it up. When I say package it up, we'll, we'll, uh, make sure everything is drained and tied up and we'll actually drive it to a, uh, port where they'll put it on a ship, uh, whether it's out of Houston, uh, Jacksonville, California area, uh, on a roll, roll on, roll off ship and, uh, deliver it to the country. That's an interesting, interesting deal. Have they've gotten uh, going off memory? One of our biggest problems used to be our tanks would get where they'd leak or rust out after a year. Are the tanks now going to more plastics than they are metal? Yeah. So, so back in the years in the early years, you know, all water tanks on fire trucks were made out of, um, just regular mild steel, and then it went to galvanized steel, then it went to stainless steel, and then, shoot, about 20-something years ago, uh, a company developed a, a poly tank, a kind of a, a plastic 
uh, tank that, believe it or not, has a lifetime warranty. So since the, since 20 years, uh, all the tanks, I'd say all 99.9% .9 of all fire trucks today have a lifetime warranty with a uh, plastic tank. That sure saves a lot on the because that was our big thing. You know, you get a fire truck and it's set. We had a we had a lady that passed away that donated our her 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 life savings bought a pumper for our, our small town. But her rules were is it had to stay in town. We could not take it out of town. Well, over twenty year period, that thing didn't have five hundred miles on it. And, right, and so when right. we were, I was like, man, we could trade that off for a lot. It's low mileage, blah, blah, blah. Well, the tanks rusted out or whatever, you know, it was always, there's just no resale at that time on stuff. This, this is really interesting. Yeah. But back, but back to used fire trucks today, believe it or not with COVID and, and people waiting so long to get fire trucks, you know, used fire trucks today are in great demand, believe it or not. And, and getting higher prices today than ever before. But it costs so much to replace them for a small town budget. Correct, correct. So, I mean, as you can appreciate, you can buy a, a good used fire truck that's 10, 15 years old for a third the price of a new one. Yes. And, and you're right, a lot of these cities and small towns can't afford one of these new fire trucks. I mean, unless they get a grant, you know, that there are grants that's available for uh, small uh, to large fire departments uh, around the country that the government gives uh, every year. But you got to apply for a grant to um, to get that money. But you also have to put up money to match some of the grant proceeds. Yes, sir. That's exactly right. Did the Navy ship that y'all worked on was that salvageable? Well, unfortunately, you know that ship was went through a five hundred million dollar uh, renovation. Wow. You know before the fire started. <laughs> That's uh, um, typical government money. <laughs> well, yeah, and in, and in turn that ship was actually going to be deployed um, probably three weeks before that sh uh, fire started. Um, but they had to end up uh, salvaging that ship, you know, because of the, uh, the damage that was on it. Wow. What did y'all do? Okay. I, I don't know what kind of ship it was, but let's say it was a nuclear uh, uh, aircraft carrier. What would y'all do in a situation like that? That's uh, yeah, that's a whole nother that's a whole nother animal, <laughs> as you can appreciate. Uh, you know, things that we can do, I can't talk about. You know, because it's, it's. I understand uh, that completely. You know, some some of the things that we you know we can do to minimize that exposure. Um, you know, we have we've had dialogue with um, different people about that situation, and uh, but there is ways to do control that situation See, i had to ask good questions and that was to me with i thought would be a pretty good question there just one that he can't answer <laughs> yeah there, let, let me just let me just back up there's techniques and there's ways to 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 you know extinguish uh situations like are there ever, has there ever been a, an industrial fire where you're like no nah, we're not doing that it's too out of hand it's gotten it's gotten past the point of anything that i want to jack with no, no, it's never been an incident. You know, I mean, we've been on some large scale incidents and, and, um, you know, as, as I can tell you, you know, you can appreciate, I mean, a lot of these incidents, uh, one of the last big ones that we've been on, um, you know, even though that we have these remote control monitors and stuff, you know, a lot of times we're still up close. 
when I say close, I mean really close. And um, we had a tank uh, that caught back on fire on us. Uh, the tank was about uh, 170, 180 foot in diameter, and there was fire all around it with product in it. And um, the, yeah, uh, a lot of flammable liquid that was in this tank. I think it was gasoline. And this son of a bitch was, you know, we, we were about 10, 15 feet, 20 feet away from it. And this damn thing was rumbling like, you know, like, you know, you're, you're cooking gasoline in a, in a pot, you know, so we had to make, hurry up and make some quick decisions that, you know, are we going to see this thing come apart on us and, and blow up on us or uh, hurry up and start cooling this and, and redirecting monitors and, but you get into those situations. I mean, that's what companies pay us to do. You know, a lot of times as we can appreciate. Uh, just fire in, in general. You know, a lot of people are scared of, of the situation, uh, and rightfully so. Um, you know, a lot of times when we go on scene, you know, um, you'll see a lot of people a mile up the street, two miles up the street, and we're going the opposite way. We're we're going into the thick of things, and but that's what we do. That's that's what we know how to do, and being successful uh, of doing that. But, um, but back to your question, you know, there's always a way that you can, you know, get these things under control. Yeah. And, and, you know, just, just for instance, that deer park fire, if you ever seen photographs of that or seen, seen some of our photographs up close, you'd say no way in hell I'm getting close to that damn thing, you know? So, um, but you got to, you got, you got to get your equipment set up. You got to, um, um, evaluate what's there. And, and, uh, but that's, like I said, that's what they pay us to do. Damn. I'm looking at that deer park fire right now. That thing was humongous. It was massive. Like I said, it, it was, in my opinion, it was the largest industrial fire in Texas history. Um, so they thought that fire, if you, if you read, if you look at some of the news clips that, you know, they thought that fire would burn for five or six days. And like I said earlier, after we established water source and uh, got all the equipment set up, you know, we had it under control in a matter of hours, you know, six or six or seven hours, uh, and had it extinguished, uh, completely. Is there a time period in these contracts that you'll sign with these companies? Do they ever put a contingency on it's got to be out in so many hours, days? No. Uh, you know, our contract reads that, you know, we're, we're going to do whatever we can do. Look at our history and, and we're going to do our best to extinguish the fire on a timely basis. That's, you know, because there's so many what ifs, mm -hmm. you know, that happen. You know, you'll get something blow up. You'll get another tank on fire. You, you can't really put a time frame on these situations, you know. But, you know, while we're on that subject, you know, a lot of people will say, well, you know, it, it costs so much to extinguish these fires. Just, you know, why don't we let it burn? And, and you know, when, when you look at that, that analogy, um, so who, who are you going to please? Are you going to please the environmental people by, you know, not letting it burn or are you going to look at situations that you're going to put toxic fumes in the air you know a lot of a lot of times these industrial fires that we go in will have a shelter in place for five miles 
or a evacuate for two miles. So, you know, you got to get people back in homes and you got to, you got to get the situation under control. And, you know, as we can appreciate, you know, we, we live in a lawsuit world today. So if I was a company with a major fire going on, it's always best to extinguish the fire. Um, because, you know, a lot of times before the fire is even out, the lawyers are lining up people at the hotel that we're staying at, mm-hmm. you know, so that's just an unfortunate situation that, that, you know, that we're live, live in today. And I understand people have their own rights and, and, and appreciate that of what they, you know, out of, of, out of their home and out of food and, and, you know, all the hate and discontent with that. But, um, you know, it's always my um, opinion that, you know, get the fire under control, put the fire out and, you know, get people back in their homes and get get people back in in um, their location. Because, you know, given the Deer Park fire, I mean, you had schools evacuated, you have restaurants evacuated. So I think that was a, a five mile radius around that facility because, you know, not only that facility, that facility was in a matter, in a location, if you look at an aerial map, I mean, you had tons of other hazards around that fire. You know, you had some, you know, big spheres, what we call bullets, that would level, you know, four city blocks if one of them would ever go off or a multitude of them would go off. Uh, so um, you got to get it out. You know, it's, it's got to be put out. What about the uh, train derailments? Have y'all had to deal with any of that? Yeah. Um, you know, East Palestine, it was a, um, you know, as, as everybody knows, that was a kind of a unique situation there. And, um, you know, I think that was a no-win situation, in my opinion, anyway you went, you know, um, because, you know, the railroad's obligation or, you know, is, is to hurry up and get the rail line back open. And um, I think they did what they had to do to, um, I think they did what they had to do to, you know, get the rail line open. Yeah, we had their local fire chief on with us. He, they hunt with us, matter of fact. Okay, my next question is, the, the fire in Georgia that was in the ocean, were those electric cars or were those regular cars that were in that truck, that no that was that was the uh golden ray in the georgia sound they were they were departing out of the uh the port there and actually hit a sandbar that rolled that ship over but that was just all conventional cars that was about three years ago kind of yeah three three years four years ago so that was all standard uh gas powered cars and then the other ship fire that we did up in um new jersey that was all older uh, machinery and equipment um that uh, was on that ship. I think that ship was headed towards uh, South, South America, yeah, South somewhere, Africa, South Africa, Africa somewhere. Have you seen the videos of all the new Tesla cars when they catch on fire? What a mess it is with the electric batteries. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that that's um, you know that's another interesting topic that uh, we get in from from time to time. You know, looking at you know lithium batteries and how to properly extinguish lithium is always challenging and, and unique. And, um, 
you know, I think the car industry got advanced way before the fire extinguishment of one of these vehicles, you know, took place. Uh, so you look at currently today uh, what fire departments are doing. You know, a lot of times when these electric vehicles uh, catch on fire, you know, it just grows very fast uh, with the lithium batter batteries, but also very hot. So you have to use a, you know, a tremendous amount of water to even get a control, you know, of that fire. Um, so today, fire departments are using uh, big fire blankets where sometimes they just put a whole fire blanket over the top of the car to try to smother it out. Uh, we've seen uh, fire departments uh, overseas uh, in Europe actually take a roll-off uh, dumpster, push the car while it's on fire into the roll-off dumpster and fill it with water and then haul it off that way. Uh, but a lot, of, what a lot of people don't understand that, you know, even with the, man, uh, the, the amount of water that you're, you're putting out there, now you have environmental issues of water runoff of lithium and, and other chemicals that was in the car materials uh, that are running, running off, which you have to contain. So I think it's one of those situations that one of those kind of no-win situations either what's the right way and what's the wrong way i think you know a lot of fire departments are still evaluating their procedures of how to properly you know extinguish and surely if you have somebody trapped in one of these things you're going to put water uh in some type of foam solution to help you know extinguish enough fire to get a passenger out um, but if it's no passenger in the vehicle, it, it's just going to take a, a lot of time and a lot of water. Typically, they're calling in for a backup tanker uh, because, you know, a lot of um, uh, city pumpers have only 500 gallons of water, you know, on a standard pumper. And you could use as much as, you know, three to 10,000 gallons of water to, uh, to extinguish that fire. On just on a lithium battery, that's going to be a major deal because one of these days, one of those car plants is going to catch on fire. It's got, you know, a buildup of lithium batteries in it, and that thing's going to burn for months probably unless you guys can come in and get it out. Unless they call us, we'll come put it out. <laughs> yeah. I didn't think about now all of a sudden, you, if you the water you put on it, now all of a sudden that, that water's got lithium in it, and it's rolling wherever it wherever it drains off to. Yeah, and, and the plastics that's in the car. So I mean, you got a lot of chemicals that's that's you know given off in that toxic situation. So I mean, you know, it's going in the ground. It's going to get in the groundwater. Is it? So I mean, you're going to have to dam up the area that you're you're or, or watch or call in an environmental company to come do a cleanup of of the hazards that's there. Okay, I got a dumb question for you now. Um, John Deere wants to go green on some of their crap. There is no way in hell that you could use electric vehicles in your job. Is there not in our job? No. Okay. That's what I wanted to know. And I knew that was the truth, but that's our politicians don't ever want to say that there's some things electric vehicles just do not good at in truck driving, heavy equipment and farm work is not is three things I can think Sounds of. Sounds like they don't burn for shit either. No, they burn real well. <laughs> yeah, but, 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 but. But, you know, you got to you got to stop and think of what makes this product, you know, what makes this vehicle? Well, it's a chemical plant 
making plastics for the car. You know, it, it's refining lithium to make the lithium batteries. It's, it's the, you know, the cases that are made are made out of play. I mean, so it's not this circle that everybody's talking about. I mean, it, it takes a lot. So, so what did you do? So you, you, you created more hazard to be more environmentally friendly. So, I mean, that, that, in my opinion, that really doesn't make sense. I'm, I'm just, that's my opinion. No, I just, it's a very good opinion. You know, what, what, what did you really truly do? You know, I mean, you know, you're still going to have to have chemical plants to make products to go in these vehicles. Yeah, and those uh, the lithium mines, right, or cobalt mines, they'll, they'll break your heart if you see pictures coming out. The the working conditions and the people that are working there, I mean, it'll tear your heart out seeing how yeah, you know I mean, you they, get the material. You know, overseas, uh, low wage, you know, young kids working in these mines that are 10, 15 years old. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. or moms with getting, babies getting, on their getting backs. Probably paid, getting probably paid five cents a day, ten cents a day, fifty cents a day. Also, you can go green and feel good about yourself. Yeah. Um, yeah, don't, don't get me wrong. I, I think there's, a, you know, a, a, a time and place for some of that. You know, I mean, look at golf carts. Golf carts have been around with batteries for, for freaking years, you know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that there, there's a time and place, in my opinion, for all of that. But, um, you know, if I was, you know, you know, this is my personal opinion. You know, I wouldn't own an electric, you know, car. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the thing is, it, it just, you know, if you ever get in a crash with one of these, uh, and maybe I'm talking too much, I mean, I would really second guess. Um, Andy, when are you getting your truck? Listen, the Cybertruck, <laughs> it, it's not, it's, it's, it's bulletproof. So I saw one the other day. It's bulletproof. So if I crash, I feel bad for the other person. Yeah. Especially if you're in it and it catches on fire. Yeah. Well, if it catches on fire, it's a whole, it's a whole new ball of wax. I didn't realize these things were so combustible. They're terrible. <laughs> they burn so hot. They're terrible. Um, what's, how does the pay work on these industrial fires? Is there a set price before you guys leave? Is it, this is what it's going to take to get us started? You're going to get into the weeds they don't want to talk about. <laughs> well, you know, basically it's an open purchase order, mm-hmm. you know, that, uh, you know, some of the standby contracts that we have, you know, we initiate a fee. Uh, but if it's an emergency contract, um, you know, it's it's an open open purchase order because, right. number one, we don't we don't know how long we're going to be there. We don't, we, you know, we don't know how much foam water solution we're going to be shooting. Uh, we don't know, um, you know, all particular. So it's, it's, it's kind of an open purchase order, you know, and, and, you know, a comment, I'm sure everybody knows Red Adair that's been dead for many years and was world renowned for, uh, fighting wildfires all around the world. You know, his, his, uh, motto was that, you know, you think it's expensive, you know, uh, to put out this fire, but wait till you hire an amateur. yeah that's that's exactly right um so i mean you guys scramble and you got you got boots on the ground and you're assessing the fire within hours yes and then i mean is it do you guys have a pretty good uh once you get on scene is it pretty well like you know what it's going to take to put out that fire or are you always calling in reinforcements no, basically, you know, first of all, you know, we're, we're as always, we want to know what product is burning. Mm-hmm. 
you know, because every product takes a different, unique um, type of method to, to extinguish. You know, like methanol may take one method. Uh, gasoline takes another one. Diesel takes, you know, so all these chemicals take a different, unique uh, approach of how you extinguish, you know, you know, NAPTA being one of the worst, in my opinion, you know, with the high vapor pressure. Um, it, it, it just every fire is different. And in turn, um, it just really depends on what product is burning. Uh, that's that's going to make a difference of what equipment we're bringing in and how much equipment we're bringing in and, and how much foam we're moving and, and so forth and so on, you know, so. What's the longest that you guys were on one of these? That, well, that's, that's a good question. You know, the Deer, Deer Park fire, we actually stayed on location with a, uh, with a smaller team after the fire was extinguished uh, for about uh, five to six months. Jeez. So, you know, a, after, after the fire is out and we stayed there while they, while they, um, while we helped demolish, remove the tanks that was all crumbled. And uh, so you're going to have some spot fires, you know, as you can appreciate all the steel is crumbled and you still have some ignition sources, you know, a product that's still around uh, those tanks. Uh, so we there with the equipment and manpower to uh, put out any small spot fire that's there until uh, the tank is completely cut up and, and removed. Were they having so spot we all, fires for five and six months after that, the whole time? Smaller ones, yes. <clears throat> Jesus. That's a hell of a fire. Right. Well, I tell you what, you guys so, save a lot of lives, a lot of time, and y'all are an insurance company's best friend, I bet, when this shit happens. No, absolutely. You know, we like to... Uh, you know, believe it or not, we work with a lot of, uh, you know, large uh, insurance companies, too, of, of actually doing pre-plans, you know, of, of what their exposure is. I mean, we'll go into a facility and do a um, uh, a pre, pre-plan hazard, you know, study form, you know, that, okay, look, you know, if you have a fire in this tank, this is what's going to happen. You know, if the wind's blowing this way, this is what's going to happen, you know. Um, you know, it gets down to, you know, a lot of even minutiae things of, okay, your gate's not wide enough to bring in equipment to, to get to this. I mean, so we go through the whole aspects of doing pre-plans of, you know, making sure that, um, you know, the fire can be extinguished. And, and, you know, sometimes insurance companies, you know, rely on us saying, you know, what do you think? What, what do you think? Because, you know, any insurance company, as, as we can appreciate, wants to protect their interest, too, to make money, um, what their exposure is. You know, I mean, what, what, what is their total exposure and what's going to be their exposure in the worst case scenario? It's a crazy, 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 crazy life. You've made it. You know, I bet you never thought you'd get here whenever you were welding that first fire truck together. No, no. You know, people ask me that all the time saying, you know, wow, I bet you had, you didn't think of that. And, and, you know, and that is a true statement. I never thought that I would be here or what I'm doing today. It's been very rewarding. Like I said earlier with customers and great friends and into the business and, and, you know, uh, reputation is everything for me. I mean, hopefully we, we, uh, 
I feel that we have a great reputation really all around the world and a great name and and we do what we say we're going to do and and uh, just like the fire truck business that we're back in today is that you know you know people are calling saying hey look you built me a truck you know 20 years ago you know build me another one you know so that's that's what relationships that we have but but, you know, back to the industrial firefighting business, I mean, that, that's really a, uh, you know, after a big fire is, is extinguished and, and, you know, we're sizing up the situation. It's, it's really rewarding that we pay, played a major role in um, extinguishing, you know, that fire because every fire is challenging. I mean, there, there, there's not a fire even with municipal uh, firefighting today. You know, every fire is challenging and, and every fire is is um unique and in, in the way you approach and and it always depends of a lot of situation that goes on and then you know just speaking of firemen in general you know when you go to any local community anywhere around the world it, you know firemen is always your best friend in every community mm-hmm. i mean just the um uh the respect for the community that have for firemen, it's just unbelievable. Firemen, firemen today are a unique breed and a special person. And, and, you know, when you look at even, and I've talked about that over, over the years, even when you look at a crisis in your life, you know, who's going to be there for you, you know, whether you have a heart attack, injured in a motor vehicle accident, your house is on fire. Firemen is always going to be your first responders that come in to help you with that situation. And, and they have the passion uh, to do whatever they need to do to help out. And, and, you know, the firemen, you know, they're not doing this for the pay because, I mean, look at the, some of these firemen that, you know, just start out. You know, some of these firemen are making $30,000 a year, thirty-five. I mean, how can you make ends meet being a fireman? getting getting paid that way even policemen policemen been making you know the same thing with policemen making 35 dollars a year in some of these rural areas you know you, you can't even you know you can't even pay your house uh, pay a car note you know i mean you can't even so they do it for the love of, of the job and 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 people recognize that and and you know a tribute to all the firemen across the world that we run into it's just a credit to their passion just like our passion with industrial firefighting, um, we sh- we share the same passion. You know, there's a lot of great firemen around the world. Yeah, you cannot hire a police officer in a small town hardly right now. It's almost impossible. No, and and, and as you can appreciate, you know, uh, thanks to COVID, I mean, I'm sure y'all see it every day too. I mean, you know, if you're not doing 85, 90 on the interstate, you're not doing. You know, I mean, the people don't get stopped anymore. Just, it just, it, it just, and, but not only that, who wants to stop some crazy person that's going to shoot at you, yeah, you for 30, for $35,000 a year, 38. I mean, I wouldn't, you know, I don't want that job. No, it's uh, being a police officer you know, and, 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 and a fireman. But beyond that, as, but beyond that, as you can appreciate, you know, they always want to blame, you know, the policeman for what they did or didn't do, you know? So, I mean, it's kind of a no-win situation they're in, and 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 you know, credit to those guys too that you know they're they're in a no-win a lot of times in a no-win situation that you know they have no respect for what they do. The the state of Texas I think is fixing to supplement counties 
with the sheriffs and the and the deputies to get them extra money. But in a small town like I live in right now, if we hire a police officer, we're going to have to pay $40,000 a year, which is not a lot of money, but that's what a city like Knox City can afford to pay a police officer. But he can go to a, a suburb of Dallas or Austin or Houston or San Antonio and start out at seventy five dollars or $80,000. They've got yeah, more they in their budget. Yeah, they ought to be paying them $150,000 a year. Right, but they can't afford it. And I agree yeah, with yeah, you on that. But, but my, my point is they deserve 150000 a year, you know. Yes, sir. A hundred percent agree with you. Police officers and firemen and are and ambulance and EMT personnel, first responders are the lowest paid people in this country for what they do. Yeah. And a lot of people down. don't know that. I mean, some, some of the ambulance services in Mississippi are paying their people like $13 an hour, 12, yeah. you know, $12. There ain't no way, you know, you can make ends meet. Nope. Not at all. And that's what you get. And then you go to McDonald's and they're paying 15 to 20. I just told Andy the other day, 10 years from now, I don't think there'll be a fast food restaurant open in this country because they won't be able to get people to work. First of all, this young generation is not going to work. Bottom line, you raised your boys well, yeah, you to know, work. You know what's going to happen there. It's going to be all automation. It's going to be all automation that, you know, it's going to be automated, you know, burgers that they cooking and, and automated that they put, put it together. And it's going to be one, it's going to be a robot at the, at the counter saying, okay, or, or the, the checkout window, drive-through window, is going to be a robot handing you a burger. Yep, that's exactly right. We, uh, I, My wife told me this last night. We ate dinner at a place, and it was another uh, franchise, national franchise, and it was absolutely horrible again. Unless you go eat at a mom-and-pop restaurant, you can't get good service hardly anymore, good food. I don't care what national chain you go to. If you go to a national chain, the food either sucks or the service sucks. That's yeah, just, I think as we get as as we get older too, you know, it just you know we used to eat that stuff in the early days, you know, as a quick bite. But I, as you can appreciate, I think we, you know, I know I am more kind of choosy of what you know. Oh, yeah. some of the places go, you know, go into, you know, so. Yeah, um, I don't know if this place is a national chain. Freddy's, I ate there. They got good burgers. Very good burgers, and it was out in a timely manner. People were friendly, but I don't know if it's a national chain. It's though. not cheap. Well, Either. Cheap and that's, yeah, Freddy's, but you know, five five guys is another five guys place is good. Is, you know, it, good burgers, if you the know? name is Roadhouse, stay the way from it. <laughs> I'm telling you right now, we a road kill one of the oh, two. Oh, it's, huh? it's it's terrible. We I've already banned going to Texas Roadhouse. So last night we thought there's a place called the Beehive in Abilene that's locally owned. It's very very good. They were closed. And I said let's go to Logan's Roadhouse. I want salad anyways tonight. And they got a good salad. It was terrible. I told Michelle, I said, if it, it just, it's just horrible these days, what you get at the national franchises. They're just, they can't get no help. They don't pay nobody. And the quality of food is just not near as good. But you shouldn't be eating nowhere else, anyways, where you live at. You got the best food mm -hmm. in the world. There's nothing better than Kunas food. Yeah. I mean, it, it's hard to beat Louisiana cooking, <laughs> oh. man. You know, that's why you, you gain 50 pounds in no time, you know. Oh. So you got to control what you eat, you know. But b believe it or not, you know, even, uh, while we're on the subject of food, I mean, crawfish, I saw crawfish the other day, $13 a pound. Can you believe that right now? Yeah, I saw a guy, he took his wife out. They always go before Valentine's day. They go a couple days before, so they don't meet the rush. And he said, we usually get eight pounds of crawfish is what we usually order for the two of us. And he goes, it was 150 freaking dollars. How the hell right. you're going to be so busy. Your hands are going to be so sore after cracking all that shit. Why would you eight pounds? That's what he said. They usually normally order when they go for their Jesus. Valentine's meal. That's not as much as you think it is, though, because there's a lot of waste. No, I know that. There's a lot of cracking to do, too. Go take her to a nice fucking steak or something. Andy does not appreciate crawfish. It's a lot of work. Yeah. 
Uh, hey, me and a- me and Andy's together. So I'm not <laughs> cracking no heads or sucking no tails. So, you know. <laughs> well, Too all the work. good all the good food down there, and plus, there shouldn't be anybody fat in Louisiana. All you gotta do is walk outside from about April through about October, and you'll sweat to death. Yeah, you know, we have, speaking of that, you know, we have customers that come down from up north here in August, oh. and I mean, it's like, <laughs> it feels like 150 degrees out there, you know, so, you know, you can't you can't stay out there very long, you know, so. Not good. Well, listen, we appreciate you coming on here. This has been an interesting podcast. We appreciate you letting us pick your brain on all this stuff, and uh, you're doing a lot of good work out there. Keep Connor in line this, uh, this summer and spring, and you'll be, Thank you you'll be good out there. So, 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 so what, what are y'all doing? I'm just curious, in, in off season, what, what are y'all doing? Podcast. 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 Yep. Huh? We don't have as yep. big an off season as everybody thinks there are. We're leaving to go to Nashville uh, tomorrow for Turkey, and we'll be with Boss. We, we do a lot of stuff with Boss in the off season, and we, uh, we stay busy. We, uh, we have a lot of things going on. I mean, we don't work as hard, but we're busy from September through January, seven days a week, 24 7, just about. So, our off season, we're just catching up on some time when we get actual off days, but mm-hmm. we we don't have as much as everybody thinks that we are. A lot of outfitters do; they shut down and they don't do. And we've got a big a lodge. We got to up maintenance, upkeep. We got some work. We got some new construction stuff we're going to work on. So we stay busy. Well, great. Again, we we back to our facility. You know, uh, we get a lot of people through this facility. You know, everybody's always welcome to come in to see uh, our facility. We have another facility in Mount Bellevue, Texas, too, that we we keep a lot of uh, emergency response equipment. Uh, you know, people can uh, go online and reach us at uh, usfirepump.com or or usfireapparatus.com. Uh, feel free to check out those uh, websites and. Uh, you know, give us a call if, if uh, anybody's in need of anything or any services. Uh, got a great team, man, and, and uh, we can always do a great job for people. Well, we appreciate you very much. You've got a great family. Uh, Connor and your group of guys, your team was excellent guest, and we enjoyed them so mm-hmm. much. I probably enjoyed hanging out and visiting and sitting and laughing with them as much as I have anybody in a long time. And we look forward to y'all coming up. And hopefully one of these days you'll come up with them. No, absolutely. I, I think they, they, pro- they probably want to book next year, and, and I'll be up there and, and uh, too. And, and back to your facility, they said the same thing. They had a gr- they had an unbelievable time, you know, a, a great great hunt, you know, great outcome, and, and the food was excellent. They said, and uh, the accommodations was great. So, uh, great job on y'all part too. You know, we'll be back. Perfect. You know, shortly. You know, so. Um, but again, uh, we appreciate y'all too. So absolutely. Well, you guys have a good off season. We're going to get out of here and uh, go build some fire trucks. Go. God bless you. And there y'all you go. be safe, my friend. Thank you very much for being on here. Bye, guys. Uh, thanks. Thank you. Team Ferrera, great group of guys. Gosh, man, I had so much fun with them guys. Interesting, interesting. They putting out all those fires. Mm-hmm. I, I was curious about the nuclear reactor, though. <laughs> yeah, that would cause a little bit of a change on your fire situation. Yeah. You'd have to look at it a little bit differently. That's interesting. I would love to go to be on a fire scene when they pull up with all their equipment stuff and look at all the other guys going, what the hell is all that shit? Fuck, we're out of a job. (laughs) Yeah. Imagine time to go home. Pumping that much water. Shitload of water. We could fill up some holes, water holes real fish for some ducks. Yeah, no doubt, right? All right. Thank y'all for listening. Just come by and see us in Nashville. We look forward to it. We'll be at the boss booth. Check out all our other sponsors are there. Come by and say hello. We'd love to talk to you. Peace out. Bye. Love you. Bye. Watch for deer. 
Go check out all of our sponsors. Go check out Pacific Calls, BHP 25, Boss Shot Shells, MLR Graphics, Alpha Outdoor Specialties, Hemp Hill Farms, Dive Bomb Industries, Dirty Duck Coffee, Shin Gear, Looking Glass Podcast, Lucky Duck, Ducks Unlimited, Double T British Kennels, Mossberg, and Stanford Outfitters. 